Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. If you value what we do, we need your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website to help keep this program rolling. And if you run a business, a nonprofit, a local labor union, consider becoming a sponsor. Speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. And here's a great idea, Gateway Gift Cards. They can be used not only at Gateway, but at several great central Iowa restaurants, including Centro, Django, Malo, Zombie Burger, and more. Think about them as the ideal stocking stuffer. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been taking care of all sorts of animals, large and small, for over 30 years. She loves our cat. I think our cat loves her. And our chickens put up with her. That's Kim Holding. Check out her Facebook page, Story County Veterinary Clinic. So, uh... My in-studio guest for the first part of this program, Des Moines City Council Member Carl Voss. You know, with the uh, federal government, even under democratic control, uh, displaying a profound disconnect on the urgency of the climate crisis, uh, with so many state governments across the country, including the Iowa legislature and the Iowa governor, uh, barely, you know, barely budging beyond the climate denial mentality, we turn to local communities for leadership, and we're getting it. Uh, you know, later in this program, we're going to be talking for, uh, with uh, Darlong Chang. He's uh, a former Exxon engineer who now lives at a net zero community in, uh, in uh, near Denver, Colorado. And that community is having its own challenges. Anyway, um, that'll be a good conversation. And later still in the program, we're going to be talking about the CO2 pipelines with several people who live along the route and or have land along the route. But right now, I am excited as heck to have Carl Voss with us in the studio. Carl, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks. Pleasure to be here. And Carl was one of the lead sponsors of the uh, Des Moines uh, Food Security Task Force, and that's, uh, that's done some great initial work. You should check out the website, folks, FEED, F-E-E-D, FEED DSM. It's an excellent tool for people who want to learn to raise food on their properties. Carl, that's uh, good work. What else you got going on? Well, um, <laughs> I know it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah there is a lot. Um, so... I think our city council meeting of December 20th, and that's just in two weeks, is going to be a pretty interesting one, Ed, because we're okay. going to be uh, talking about a climate action and adoption plan. And uh, we believe this will be a 18-month planning process. And uh, we're going to use this as a, a guide to shorten long-term um, planning, de decision-making, uh, where the city's going to go and you know how we can improve in what our energy consumption is and yeah, what's the initial uh, your initial sense of the direction the city is interested in going how far will the city go on this well so so we're looking at um seven key areas energy use and resources building and infrastructure uh, transportation and land use um climate preparation and resilience um waste management and reduction, mm -hmm. food systems and security. We talked a little bit about right. food just briefly. Yes. And then uh, natural systems and water resources. So, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a lot, and, that's and, pretty big. And so far, it seems to be fairly, it, just, it seems to be a fairly agreeable conversation, not a lot of uh, animosity, not a lot of people from the other side saying, hey, we, we can't do this, we can't do that. I do hear, I know some complaints about uh, making the streets more bike friendly. That's unfortunate that we have people complaining about that. Yeah. But uh, but uh, again, for overall, it seems like uh, people understand we've got to do something and they're appreciative that the uh, of the council's leadership. Right, and so and we have several buildings that um, uh, have existing energy solutions to them. We just built a new fire station with uh, um, geothermal and solar panels. Okay. Um, we're building a new um, building for our public works system. It's also going to have solar panels on it. Um, we've got uh, parking garages with um, uh, a 95 kW on it. So there's solar panels on them. 95 the kW. Interpret that for us. 
What does well, that mean? Well, that's um, not as much. Uh, so that's double what our fire station has, or okay. more than double. Oh, yeah. in, ter in terms of in terms of the amount of so. Yeah, okay, yeah, I got it. All right. What it could produce. So, yeah. um, our uh, Franklin library was one of the first uh i think it's silver mm. uh lead certified but it's going to take a lot more than that we're we're looking at um fleet fuel transportation mm -hmm. and reduction in uh fuel usage uh we we just um did a lease purchase of um four nissan uh Leaf EV vehicles that that some of the staff will be driving. Amer um, American made. Uh, I can't answer <laughs> that. I'm sorry, I can't answer that question. I had Charlie um, Wishman on my show yeah, last week, so I got to yeah. make sure I ask that. Oh, okay, important question. Uh, we just did a a lease purchase of a cargo van. Um, we've got a, um, a program with the Renewable Energy Group that's okay. called Reg here in Iowa. Right. Um, to, to retrofit uh, 20 refuse trucks mm. with um, B100 uh, biodiesel. This is a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, there is. So, uh, so, uh, so, so that can reduce emissions up to 85%. Yeah. So It seems like, what well, I mean, there's all, at some point you get pushback. I know when the city did the requirement that buildings over a certain size have to achieve a certain level of energy efficiency, there were developers and property owners who didn't like that. You had pushback, uh, and yet, you know, you were able to get that accomplished. Um, I imagine there's going to be pushback when the city says, "Okay, we value, we know how important food production is. We're going to start identifying land that's strictly intended for agricultural production in the city." I imagine there's going to be pushback on that as well. How do you uh, handle all that? Well, um, you can't always. Uh respond to the loudest voices so a lot of people that are in agreement are not necessarily going to reach out to you with email text or right. phone calls so um it's the angry ones uh, yeah so from, so right. um so we've got some um uh new housing uh credits that you're going to get more of a credit if you if you make a, t a tighter envelope, the, mm. the surrounding of the home. So, oh, um, good. Um, and if it's uh, higher density, in other words, these would be sure. like row houses. Uh, density in the air in a neighborhood is is good rather than sprawling out into more yeah. more agriculture land. Certainly so, agree with that. And yeah. I think a lot of farmers would agree with that well. As well. and also yeah. your transportation costs are less. Sure. You're going to use less fuel to get yeah. to a grocery store or to mm -hmm. your job. So Yeah, the only I fuel I use to get to my grocery store is whatever I have for breakfast. Well, yeah, and on a day like this, <laughs> we are our, our, our own heater, aren't we? So, <laughs> we are, we. On a bike. So. Uh, hey, folks, uh, I'm talking with Carl Voss here, and uh, he's with the uh, Des Moines City Council. And, uh, you know, there are cities all over the country doing good things on climate, and there are also pushbacks. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, send us a text message, 515-519-6323. That's 515-519-6323. Text us. We'll call you right back. I'd like to, at this time, welcome to the program uh, uh, Dar Darlon Chang. He's a former Exxon engineer. He left the company in protest, essentially, years ago to um, because the company was unwilling to take climate change seriously. He now lives in a net zero community near Denver, Colorado, uh, and facing their own challenges there. Dar, uh, Darlon, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for uh, inviting me on the show. So you, you live in a net zero community, and uh, again, you've um, you received some fairly broad national coverage for your willingness to stand up to Exxon and say, hey, you aren't you aren't following through on your your knowledge about what climate change is doing and you've gone to the extent of uh you know continuing to speak out and you live the you walk the talk you you live in a net zero community but i understand that net zero community is uh, getting uh running into some problems with uh, some local officials do i have that right well uh, we're having problems with uh, the new developer the uh, previous developer his name is norbert Klebel. he was the one that uh, was a visionary that started the neighborhood but unfortunately, because of divorce last year, he had to sell the property and mm. a new developer called Peak Development took over. And uh, after Peak Development purchased the land for the rest of the neighborhood, they put out a, uh, 
a press release saying that they would build on the sustainability vision of the first block of 28 homes. Unfortunately, we found out that they were going to go back on their word and break their promise just in May of this year when uh, CNN asked the uh, developer point blank if he was going to continue building all electric houses. And at that point, he admitted no, that he was going to bring in one of the largest national home builders, Dreamfinders Homes, and their intent was to build the next 91 homes as quickly as possible. Wow. But uh, using the uh, same kind of standards that uh, Dreamfinders uses anywhere else in the nation. So was there any pushback from the local city officials? I mean, if Carl Voss had been on the city council, then he might have had something to say about it. Uh, was there any, <laughs> any, any kind of pushback? Yeah, I wish uh, we uh, had a city council where somebody like Carl Voss could uh, push back. But uh, when mm. we reached out to the most progressive members of our city council, they said that they weren't allowed to say anything, that their lawyers advised them that uh, uh, the city would be uh, under threat of being sued if they had a city council member say anything publicly. And uh, even the sustainability committee, when they wanted to write an op-ed on our behalf, they were told by city council that they were not allowed to. Uh, they could write as individuals, but not as the sustainability well, committee. How, how, what kind of a gag order is that? I mean, I... Sounds like a muzzle, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's not like I, I can't imagine telling Carl, no, Carl, you can't say that. <laughs> how, how do they get away with that? What's the legal precedent for silencing your city council? Well, I think what happened is that we got a conservative pro-developer city council, and uh, they had five votes to two uh, mm. for the last uh, couple of years, and uh, they probably at some point brought in their city manager to enforce the uh, will of the five conservative city council members as well as a lawyer to advise the progressive city council members that they're not allowed to say anything that the conservative council members don't like i i, I just don't I, carl do you get that uh, ouch, <laughs> ouch. Uh, no. yeah, right. um, well um yeah it's uh, a threat of a lawsuit um we're, we're always cognizant of that so I mean, is that, have you had to deal with anything like that in any comparable uh, climate-related city initiative? Well, uh, not so far. You know, we have a very progressive mayor who's enthused about um, environmental issues. And we just he, came know, back from just, COP26. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, he was in Scotland for, uh, for a couple of weeks. So um, we have that going for us. So. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a political problem, Darlan. <laughs> yeah, that's why we worked so hard to campaign for three progressive candidates to tip the balance. Unfortunately, we needed all three progressive candidates to win uh, in order to get a 4-3 majority. We ended up with two, so we have okay. to wait another two years to yeah. try to flip the council. So in the meantime, is there any strategy that might be used to, um, to discourage new residents from tapping into the line and the gas line and instead going with the net zero system that's working really well in your current community? Yes, this is why we've gone to the media. This is why we've tried to get as much media attention and uh, get as many places to be able to speak out and to make progressive home buyers aware that uh, the new developer, the new builder are trying to take advantage of the good name of the Geos neighborhood. And the next phase is not going to be built to the standards of the original 28 homes, unless the prospective home buyers insist on it. And that's what we're trying to convince them that uh, it's worth it to insist that they want it built to the standards of the previous homes, uh, that they're willing to pay extra for it. We, we do need to fight the builder and, and get the builder to offer that as, a, as an affordable option, because one thing the builder could do is just make it so outrageously expensive to build to the original standard that um, the prospective home buyers wouldn't be able to do it. Mm, okay, and if if people want to learn more about the uh, what you're, you know, how, how to get involved, how to how to maybe bring this to you know to more people's attention, what's the best way to do that, Darlan? Yes, we have a um, we have a Facebook page called uh, SaveGeos.com. If you just type in SaveGeos.com, it'll take you to that Facebook page. And that's G and, uh, G E O S. It's S-A-V-E-G-E-O-S dot okay. com. Right. And uh, the name of the Facebook page as well is Save Geos. Okay. And um, in addition, we've uh, gotten onto Twitter. And uh, 
for the Twitter account, we've uh, decided to be a little bit more spicy. We, we call it no gas holes. So no no gas holes dot actually not com but no gas holes dot org okay uh, will take you to the Twitter page <laughs> and uh, we've uh, started to make T-shirts and merchandise with uh, the no gas holes and the Save Geo logo right. uh, for people to be able to spread the word okay. uh, and lastly we have a petition so if you go to the Facebook page there's a petition we have more than 500 signatures now okay. Uh, so uh, we're, we're hoping to get up to maybe 9,000 because uh, right. that's what it took to get the city council to vote against an Amazon warehouse that was going to be built near our neighborhood. Uh, well, we will circulate that, and we have some. We have uh, plenty of contacts in Colorado as well. Uh, Darlan, uh, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. All right, folks, we've been talking with Darlan Chang. We've got to take a break. Uh, be right back. So you can support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly sponsor. Uh, check out the Fallon Forum website or contact me directly at ed at fallonforum.com. Thanks to our local business partners, including Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klipsham knows we have to build better health for both people and the planet and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's architecture by synthesis. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Your host here, Ed Fallon. We're discussing what cities are doing in response to the climate emergency, or in some cases, like in Darlong's situation, what cities should be doing in response to the climate situation. Uh, later, we'll hear from people living in the path of the CO2 pipelines here in Iowa. And if you're listening to this podcast, uh, or uh, as our podcast, or on the radio station, and you want to be a part of the actual live conversation, put Monday at 4 o'clock at, uh, at Central Time. Check out the Fallon Forum Facebook page, and we'll be taking callers. Again, if you'd like to call in today, if you're listening on Facebook, 515-519-6323. Don't call. Text 515-519-6323. We'll call you right back. Okay, so um, a little more about, about food. I mean, you've, you've got this, uh, first of all, I guess this plan. Let's wrap that up. This plan is coming up. Uh, the, the climate action plan will be voted on. Right. And my impression is that more and more cities are starting to have this conversation. Is that, are you hearing that as well? I am. And, yeah. and you know, you can read about this on uh, CNN and other um, sources. Well, I think COVID has brought part of this forward that, oh gosh, you know, where does our food come from? Mm -hmm. How far does it come from? Yeah. You know, we can do this locally. Yeah, people yeah. think about. It. I mean, I always like to talk about being the breadbasket of the world, and yet we import about eighty percent of our food. And the average food product, I am told, travels about fifteen hundred miles. You know, we're getting lettuce. You know, throughout the year, that's grown grown here in Iowa. Gosh, and the quality is so terrific. Yeah, you know, it doesn't travel as as far. Mm -hmm. um, right. From a local source, we're getting directly from. Um, um, Capital City fruit in this mm -hmm. particular case, mm -hmm. so we see it three days earlier than it's actually on the on the the grocery yeah. shelves. So instead of 
going to the central high V and then from the high V um, warehouse to the store and right. the store out on the shelf it comes to our house three days earlier so. that's great yeah, yeah. and uh, and we, we we have you beat on that account because uh, or you just we, we three have, steps well three well steps he, out the door even this is December 6th <laughs> and we still have lettuce and arugula growing in our cold frame now that honestly that doesn't happen every year but it may maybe it's the new normal um, normally we expect to have lettuce and arugula in a cold frame early March even March 1st but this year we're even getting it in December it's kind of crazy but um well so is that the one of the upsides of climate <laughs> we need more fossil fuel okay. burning out there to keep that going no, no, okay no it's you know so they can have fresh you know, the, lettuce I mean, I, tell me if you agree with this Carl people say that well there's a new normal out there uh, and and this is the new normal and my, my 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 feeling is no this is not the new normal this is a transition and we're going to continue to transition until we get to the point where Either humanity is no longer going to be able to survive the changing climate, or we have figured it out, uh, and we'll hit a, a point where they'll plateau, and then we'll eventually come back to a level that's more sustainable. So well, I mean, sure, and you know, this could be in part where we might be regressing hmm. to where our grandparents had their own vegetable gardens and such so now one big difference of course is our grandparents and most everybody else's grandparents of those of you listening lived on farms and you could go out there and you with your five or ten or forty or sixty or hundred and twenty acres you could you could raise enough food to feed your family in bad times that's challenging in in an urban yeah. environment in a country that has become urbanized by and large well, Ed, the other morning on my run, I heard roosters crowing. Good. Um, <laughs> not all, not all neighborhoods like to hear well, roosters well, crowing. Nobody but, likes them at three no, in the morning. But I, but I would guess that if there's roosters crowing, there are some hens nearby. Yes, probably. So, yeah. Some laying hens. So yeah. I mean, it's it is going on. Yeah. So. So I mean, is, is that are you, are you hearing from other cities? I mean, again, there's so many different aspects of the climate emergency that have to be addressed, and you listed them all: energy, transportation, water, food. And, and again, I'm particularly interested in the food aspect. And I, and I, my impression is Des Moines is doing very well in terms of uh, leadership on that. But wh what are you hearing from other cities that is encouraging? Well, I'm seeing more about transportation. I mean, that's where a lot of the the, the fossil fuel is is uh, um, with our cars. Right. So there was a fascinating article in the uh, New York Times about three Sundays ago from Carmel, I Indiana. Population oh, about yeah. 100,000. I saw that. Wasn't that interesting? Yeah. They have 140 right. roundabouts. Okay, but still, that's good. But uh, food is, uh, I mean, agriculture is also a okay. big contributor yeah. to climate well, emissions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, so. and planting more trees uh, yeah. is uh, really important, also. And that's a really good segue because I, I mean, uh, it's you know the uh, there's a lot of talk about carbon capture and sequestration, and there's money in the there's there's, there's already money in the federal government uh, for that. There's probably going to be more money if that infrastructure bill ever makes it <laughs> makes it through. And uh, you know, I mean, to me, the the best carbon sequestration strategy is a tree. And I you know I just I think the high tech, fancy, expensive, corporate backed initiatives don't make as much sense as planting trees. And just so, one last question for along those lines, Carl, what is Des Moines doing in terms of tree cover? Tree oh plantings? my gosh! Well, so. We were recently profiled in the New York Times about what are doing with um, the the urban tree canopy. Mm. We've got um, we've uh, have a, a program with trees forever. So 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 they are helping the city get more trees planted with volunteers with student help mm -hmm. um, interns that are watering the trees the first. Um, two years so we are very very aggressive about planting uh, more trees I'm s sorry I didn't bring the numbers that but but we have increased our, our tree canopy and tree planting dramatically that's good because I've seen a bunch of them come down and I've seen uh, we saw we had a bunch come down on the derecho right uh, we've had a bunch come down to the uh, the emerald ash borer 
Uh, oak wilt has taken out its share of oak trees. So yeah, re replanting is key, not just in terms of addressing climate and carbon sequestration, but in terms of replacing what's been lost. So good. Well, and I'm going to be talking in the next couple of weeks about uh, adding trees along a new trail in Des Moines. So mm. ah, uh, good. I'm going to help with the uh, underwriting of that. So good. Carl, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, a pleasure to be here. Folks, we've been talking with Carl Voss, a Des Moines City Council member, and on the front lines of trying to promote the climate sustainability yes, plan. Yes, Thank yep. you. And uh, doing so much other good work. So, Carl, thanks again for joining climate us. Climate action. It's not, and this is not climate to put action. on, not to just to put on the shelf. No, this is no, action. Not a climate on the shelf plan. Action. A climate action plan. Okay, thank you, Eric. Carl, thank you for joining us. We've got to take a break, folks. I'll be right back. You can uh, support this alternative to the right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website or contact me at ed at fallonforum.com. Uh, thanks to Groovy Goods. That's Des Moines' one-stop hippie shop where everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Groovy Goods is a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. Learn more at groovy-goods.com or stop in at 23rd and University in Des Moines. Groovy Goods is your Des Moines one-stop hippie shop. Located near Drake University, we are more than just a store. Groovy Goods is about community. We're a tribe brought together by peace, love, and rock and roll. You will be greeted by friendly staff, the smell of incense, the vibration of healing stones and crystals, the vibrant colors of clothing and tapestries, and an extensive herbal apothecary and metaphysical products. At Groovy Goods, everyone is welcome and no one is judged. Check us out online, groovy-goods.com, or stop in at the corner of 23rd and University in Des Moines. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. So welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is your host again, Ed Fallon. We're coming to you from Des Moines, Iowa, the heart of America's heartland. And I want to switch gears and talk about the proposed carbon dioxide pipelines. Um, you know, these, uh, right now there are 5,000 miles of carbon dioxide pipeline in the U.S. The proposal is to increase that to 65,000 miles. That is huge. And uh, 1,600 miles of that, of those pipeline, that pipeline buildout would be here just in the state of Iowa. And they would primarily uh, I think I almost exclusively be uh, tapping into the CO2 emissions from ethanol plants. And then one pipeline, the summit, would carry it up to North Dakota, where they would sequester it for, in their own words, a million years. We're talking about shooting your credibility, okay, <laughs> in a million years. Uh, and the other pipeline, the Navigator, would ship it the other direction down to Illinois, and we're not quite sure where it's going to. I just got off the phone with somebody working on that in Illinois, and they have no idea. They don't know quite where the company plans to uh, stash the CO2 heading that direction. But here we are in the middle, pipelines running both directions. One of them probably on top of the Dakota Access Pipeline. And um, yeah, I, I just, uh, it's, um, it's not a sustainable uh, system uh, for a number of reasons. Um, let me talk a little bit about the greenwashing aspect, uh, you know, if you want to, okay, there's too much carbon dioxide and methane, and there are too many greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Agreed, we get that. And how do you deal with that? Well, you 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 have to pull some of that out of the air. First of all, you, first of all, you stop adding to it, right? And you pull what you can out of the air. Now, there are going to be those who say we've got to use these high-tech, scientifically based techniques to do that, like putting it into a pipeline and and liquefying it. But you know, there again, my conversation with Carl Voss. Uh, there are there are ways of dealing with the, these emissions that don't involve a lot of high techness, and that's uh, forests, uh, not just forests, um, cover crops. Uh, agriculture can be a net benefit 
to uh, sequestering carbon. We don't have to get into this big, uh, this, this big uh, high-tech system that has so many questions, such huge cost, huge costs, and so really, really little evidence to suggest that it's going to do anything other than to continue to exacerbate the problem. You know, and uh, I'm looking at the, uh, I was looking at some of the press, okay, the summit pipeline hearings have already occurred. Navigator is now holding its pipelines in Iowa. There are nearly 50 Iowa counties affected by these two pipelines. Again, 1,600 miles, just in our one state. And uh, at a pipeline um, hearing in Aurelia, that's in Northwest Iowa, uh, the uh, Stormlight Times reported that, uh, quote, Navigator Vice President Stephen Lee, who specializes in engineering, said CO2 is an asphyxiant and the pipeline is pressurized, but any escaped carbon would not pose grave danger like a pipeline transporting combustible material. And he said, quote, CO2 is in the atmosphere now. With environmental conditions, if it's windy, it will dissipate very quick. If you're in low-lying areas within a calm day, it would basically saturate and dissipate over a few hours. I'm sorry, that's, that's insane conversation. <laughs> you, have, you have to look no further than Satarshi, Mississippi, which we've talked about here, just a few, just a, a couple, a month and a half ago, to see what can happen when carbon dioxide leaks from a pipeline. The benefit of that leak, if I can even call it a benefit, was that that pipeline also carried sulfur dioxide. Why is that a benefit? Well, because you can actually smell it. You can't smell CO2, and it doesn't dissipate very quickly, and it can and will kill you. Uh, there was an explosion of CO2, a natural emission of CO2, in a lake in Cameroon, a few decades ago, it killed about 2,000 people. So yeah, Mr. Lee, uh, stop trying to greenwash this with your, this will dissipate very quickly, not a big problem. Uh, Bold Iowa, the group I work with uh, when I'm not doing this, is also concerned about the, uh, the eminent domain action, aspect of this issue. And I wanna talk about that, but I do wanna to go to our phone lines. Again, if you'd like to join this conversation, 515, 519-6323, text your name and your hometown to that number, 515-519-6323, uh, if, you're, if you're watching this uh, live stream on Facebook, and we'll uh, try to bring you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to our phone lines now and welcome Paul from Solon, Iowa. Hello, Paul, welcome to the program. Hi, Ed, uh, thanks for... Uh have me on. Yeah, sure. So what's your take on the, uh, and I know the environmental community is divided into this. Some environmentalists think this is a great thing. Some not so sure. And I know, if I, this is Paul Deaton, I believe. So you um, you have an environmental background as well. What's your take on this? Well, uh, Ed, uh, I'm trying to figure it out like a lot of people are. And uh, there's a couple of things that I would say right off. First, my friend Laura Krauss farms up near Mount Vernon. Okay. And uh, she, of course, has to defend this from this because the projected route is through her farm. So that's one piece of this. Hmm. The, uh, the second piece of it is I don't understand where the people who are involved with this are coming from. For example, uh, Governor Kim Reynolds had an executive order number nine back in June in which she said that she was going to do an exploratory committee on carbon uh, capture and sequestration. Right. It was pretty much an industry committee, I think. I think it was. I think yeah. you were right about that. Yeah. But the outcome of it was that uh, it was presented in all its glowing language in the mm. press release as a, uh, a boon to Iowa businesses. Right. And of course, the words climate change were completely absent from the conversation. <laughs> But see, that's interesting because the words climate change are not at all absent from the presentations given by Summit and Navigator. Uh, and again, Navigator, think Valero, think Big Oil. Uh, Summit, think Big Ag, Bruce Rastad or Terry Branstad. These are people who have been on the front lines of making ag bigger and bigger. I mean, one of, one of Bruce Rastetter's goals was, was to go to Tanzania, uh, shut down a whole bunch of villages, and build big mega farms. Um, you know, these are not friends of the environment. These are not friends of... Uh, uh, of the uh, of the of, of those uh, who have been sounding the alarm about climate change, so but to see their publicity, yeah, they're all over climate change. And <laughs> well, um, the it, it's it's curious how they approach it. 
and uh, they assume that uh, we're going to this uh, low carbon economy. But the fact of the matter is they uh, use the atmosphere like an open sewer mm. for uh, uh, carbon pollution out of these ethanol plants and mm. fertilizer plants. Mm -hmm. And the carbon capture and sequestration process uh, doesn't do anything to that generation of those polluting right. things. It just captures it and, and as you described, uh, ships to bury it in the ground. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. I have no, you know, it's hard to, hard to take any company seriously or anyone seriously who will say, we will do this and we will know what will, we will know the outcome a million years from now. I mean, I, that, that's in the promotional video that Summit has. It'll be safe for a million years. I, it's hard to take anybody seriously when they say something that bizarre, you know? I agree. Yeah. Well, a curious thing that came out of today's sessions and I'm, I'm listening to Representative Chuck Eisenhart uh, cover that on Twitter. And uh, one of the things they had said today was that whatever they do with their project uh, will not impact the parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere at all. So in other words, they aren't reducing or planning to reduce the CO2 right. in the atmosphere. Right. And when and that to me has to be the whole yeah. goal. Well, and since since they're actually continuing to produce more carbon than they're able to capture, you know they're they're you know they're going to be the problem is going to continue to get worse. This doesn't address, like you said, it doesn't address the problem. Yeah, Paul. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking time to call us, uh, uh, sure Paul Deaton. And I know that you are also a blogger, and you have a blog that I think my audience should be aware of. Yes, uh, I am, Ed, and I'm posting on this topic every Wednesday at blogforiowa.com. So if you want to follow okay. my coverage, uh, it's blogforiowa.com. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. You bet, Ed. Have a good evening. Folks, if you'd like to join the conversation, 515-519-6323. Text your Phone number, sorry, text your name and hometown to that number and we'll get you on the program ASAP. Um, I do want to say something about the eminent domain aspect of this. And that is that, uh, you know, we, we, we're, what, what we've witnessed uh, with the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, situation is a, a, a total transition from what eminent domain has looked like historically. I mean, when people think of eminent domain, condemning my property, taking my land, it's almost always in the past been for a road, for a water line, for a sewer line, for a power line, for, uh, for fiber optic, for something that has community benefit. For something, I mean, you could argue whether some of those things always benefit the community, but arguably they are public amenities. People could tap into a gas line, a water line, a sewer line. They can get out on the road and drive to town, you know. And so that's 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 how people think about eminent domain historically. And yet, with the Dakota Access Pipeline ruling by the Iowa Utilities Board, suddenly, suddenly the um, <laughs> the, the the use of eminent domain is now given to a private corporation to build something that is entirely private. Uh, we don't own we don't own the Dakota Access Pipeline. People don't tap into it. You can't put a spigot on that and get some fuel out and fuel your car. Uh, and uh, it, so it's uh, you know it's it's clear to me that uh, we have a new um, a new perspective on eminent domain, and uh, it's not a good one because it's not consistent with how we normally have seen eminent domain work in this country. I'm I'm hoping that. Uh, the Iowa Utilities Board will begin to uh, see that uh, the direction they took in DAPL is not the direction that most Iowans want to go, certainly not the direction that the landowners, thousands of landowners living along the 1,600 miles of pipeline that are, that are proposed, that's not a direction they want to go. They don't want to see more and more of our land given to private companies for this purpose. It's not right. It's not historical. And again, when I, when I was a lawmaker, eminent domain was a pretty uh, nonpartisan issue. It was, I, I would say there was a bipartisan support for 
making sure that eminent domain was primarily used for public purposes, and if it had to be used for a private purpose, it would be some, something that, that had some public benefit. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that they don't continue down this road, that they come back to the initial intent, because I think that's where Iowans, and again, historically, Iowa lawmakers, were at. Okay, so 515-519-6323. If you want to join the conversation, send us a text message. We'll try to get you into the program. Let's go to our phone and welcome Sheila from Holstein, Iowa. Hello, Sheila. How are you? Well, good, Ed. Thanks for tackling this uh, uh, idea, this con- this uh, issue today. You're welcome. And what's so, on your mind? Well, I just wanted to call in as an affected landowner mm, in Ida okay. County. Okay. Um, we have an ethanol plant uh, in Ida County that is being brought into this. Um, and I just wanted to talk about both Ida County and we also have family in Kasuth County. So we're following uh, some real interest in this issue in Kasuth County too. All right, yeah. And uh, how are the local officials in Kasuth County responding? Well, in Kasuth County, the supervisors are not in favor of uh, the pipeline uh, coming through Kasuth County. And it's interesting, A, that, that they unanimously are against it and have let the Iowa Utility Board members know. But also, mm. it shows you how powerful it is to know who are the landowners um, in, uh, that are being affected. Uh, the Iowa Utility Board members won't let, there was a request to have all the landowner right. um, mailing list made public because it is a, a public document, but they only agreed to let um, the uh, governmental right. entities become public. And so it just shows when the governmental entities, there can be a discussion they look at this and say, nope, uh, this is not worth uh, what a private company, a private person like Bruce Rastetter uh, wants to have uh, in his back pocket for the rest of his life. Yeah. I have to admit, when I, when I first heard about these pipelines, I thought, well, since it's about ethanol and Iowa farmers tend to like ethanol, they're going to be supportive even if it means giving up their land. But that's not what I'm hearing. And now you're telling me that an entire county, in fact, the largest county in Iowa, is saying, no, we're not interested. Right. Um, and one of the, so the supervisors unanimously are not supportive in Kasuth County. And one of the supervisors then is an affected landowner. Hmm. Um, so, you know, it really hits home. Like our land in Ida County, we've had it in our family 80, 90 years. And to think, you know, a private company is just going to come in and and it's going to cut through the entire piece because we're just a mile from the ethanol plant, and um, and all all the issues that come with it, just so a private person can take some tax billions of tax yeah. credits for wow. a few years, and then you know my other big worry is I think those tax credits could run their run out and you know we're we're going to move to um, non-fossil fuel cars so much quicker I think That's than anyone question. ever dreamed yeah. so wow. then I really worry Ed that all these ethanol plants also have access to um, our aquifers wow the, the water okay. uh, to make the ethanol and I very much worry that this is really kind of a bait and switch mm. to uh, suck out all of Iowa's most precious resource, our water, uh, and send it west uh, to the highest bidder. Wow, that that could be interesting. Um, that's interesting. So you're saying they could take uh, their pipeline capacity and their, I mean, sure. acquire them in the main. It's just a pipe. And just uh, somehow build the additional pipage needed to get it out to the west and drain sure. our aquifer while 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 they're at it want to drain the great lakes yeah yeah 
Um, but you know, we we kind of I think we Iowans kind of forget how precious being in between the Missouri and Mississippi, you know, we really do have and not only the incredible soil because of that, but also you know the aquifers mm, and right. um, so I I hope uh, that that the Iowa Utility Board also makes it very clear yeah. that not an ounce of water can ever be shipped out. That's a really uh, good position and, to take, yeah. And not just some little hidden clause yeah. that says, oh, just send me a, a text if you ever send anything else through those pipes <laughs> other than CO2. Sheila, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Keep at it, Ed. All right. Take care, Sheila. Yeah. Bye-bye. Uh, folks, if you want to join the conversation, 515-519-6323. We've got to take a break. Be right back. You can support this alternative to right-wing shock jocks by becoming a monthly sponsor. Check out the Fallon Forum website. And thanks to our local partners, including Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Uh, Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. All right, again, I think that's a really, I, I had not thought of that. I wonder if anyone else had thought of that, that, yeah, this could eventually be used for, for uh, transporting water. Who knows? I mean, the West is uh, in big trouble. The U.S. West, is, I, I don't know how the U.S. West survives going forward. Uh, you know, th this year, I mean, I mean, maybe the drought will get better, uh, will lessen, but uh, if you look at it right now, it's uh, every Thursday morning, the, the University of Nebraska at Lincoln does a great job at monitoring drought conditions across the U.S. Every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Central Time, they update the weekly drought assessment, and it, you know, it looks a lot better for the upper Midwest than it had been. I mean, we had our drought situation as well, but nothing like it's been out west. And so I can see them saying, well, hey, we've got all this water uh, in aquifers and rainfall and Great Lakes in the Midwest. Um, let's bring that down to the Southwest. You know, and that's not, that, that has been discussed. That's not a new idea. I, I have seen this proposal made before. And um, yeah, that's a really good point. If, uh, if, if the IUB does decide to give this company permission to take that, to, to build that pipeline, that ought to be a provision. No, uh, no using that pipeline for water. Uh, let's go to our phone lines. Uh, Frank from Des Moines. Hello, Frank. How are you? Hey, Ed. How you doing? Good. Are we on the same page today or what? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of off and on listening in between my own uh, broadcast, but uh, I, you know, heard you talking about eminent domain and, you know, a little bit on the, uh, the global warming crisis. You know, a couple of points I would make. So you got you got one minute to make but, a point. I'm kind of running out uh, the of time, other thing Frank. Would be is there wouldn't be nothing built in this country if eminent domain laws stood the test every single time. You oh, couldn't oh, build nothing. You oh, literally couldn't put in okay, a railroad, but, but, but Frank, highway. You can put in anything. Right. Okay, but Frank, we're talking public investment versus a uh, public infrastructure versus private corporation. Don't you agree that private companies should not be able to use the right of eminent domain. I mean, a private company, I don't care whether it's a, if it's Valero wanting to build a pipeline or Donald Trump wanting to condemn a neighborhood to build a high rise, they should not be able to do that at the expense of the public. If you want to, if you want to buy that land, go for it, but don't come in and use government's authority to take land to use, to use for your private benefit. You would agree with that, Frank, right? Yeah, I, I would pretty much agree with that. Oh, but goody. you know, you heard the old saying, Ed, every man's got his price. You know, I mean, if you if they come up with the right price, anything's for sale. No, I don't. I don't think everybody agrees with that. I certainly don't. Well, if my piece of property standing in the way of progress between an interstate system connecting up, okay, you know, but again, give that, me the right price and I'll pedal whatever I got. Okay, that's you know? public. I mean, you yeah. know, for the most part. Frank, I gotta I gotta run to a break here. Uh, thank you so much for calling. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Oh, you're welcome, man. All right, bye-bye. All right, folks, uh, we're going to switch gears here. Um, we've got to take a break. Be right back. Uh, you can support uh, this program, again, in many ways. And uh, 
One way is to uh, support the local businesses that make this program possible. Uh, Kathy Burns is going to join me shortly. And again, uh, thanks to uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Check out the Gateway gift card option for Christmas gifts, holiday gifts, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they can be used not only at Gateway, but at uh, like Centro, Django, Malo, Zombie Burger, and more. Check it out, folks. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, Ed Fallon with you here, folks. And now being joined by uh, Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Kathy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So it's December. Everybody's done gardening. Nothing to think about, right? Why are we here? Well, there's a, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary uh -huh. if you look on social media. Okay. And if you look here at Birds and Bees Urban Farm, too. Um, I was away for the weekend, and you had a lot of farm stuff going on around here. As I yeah, and then the wind came along and ruined it all. I mean, a lot of my, you know, we love leaves. They're kind of a resource and you cover your beds with them. You cover your uh, chicken coop, your chicken pen, the floor of the chicken pen with them. Mm -hmm. And I had them all raked up. <laughs> and then the, the wind came and just devastated everything. It had like 45 miles an hour. Well, one, Crazy. One livestock group that we are going to put to bed for sure now, um, I'm sure it's time because they have their quilt box on top, is the bees in the beehive. So the bees are tucked in for the winter, and it won't be too long that we'll get those cork, uh, wine corks out and plug up the sides once the wind starts really blowing off. If one needs another reason to drink wine. <laughs> so we had some uh, Q&A that I, I saw yeah. on the... The social media pages that we follow for you know gardening farming growing food and produce in general and folks are talking and the some of the biggest talk is still should i plant my garlic i planted my <laughs> garlic and it's sprouting so it's garlic talk a lot yeah. of that going on someone says they planted their garlic around halloween as suggested and we would have we would have mostly approved of that suggestion. We plant a little later, yeah. but they, they see they've started to sprout. Will they still produce next year, or should they consider yeah. it done? The answer is mulch. Yeah, yeah, mulch. <laughs> um, I mean, we use straw. Uh, we got friends who have very successful gar garlic production that use leaves. Yep. But uh, then la last year we had to add straw, I believe, because we had the same problem where it, it poked through the ground poked through the straw too early. Well, yeah, they might be up a half inch or even an inch, and you just want to keep all that covered so they don't freeze up. Yeah. And this is a this is a hard neck garlic. Right. We don't do any soft neck around No, that's here. for people down south. <laughs> we do hard <laughs> neck. And the other, uh, the other biggest topic is my cold frame is still producing, or can I still plant a well, cold frame? The first one, yay. Well, one more thing about garlic. Oh, is oh, it's, it's, garlic. it's way, if, if there are people, was this somebody, somebody asking if they should plant garlic now? 
Well, the ground hasn't had a hard freeze yeah, yet. I think I don't. You know, no, it's too late. Too I late think. for garlic. Yeah, I th I think so. Maybe. What do I know? Because you want it to <laughs> you want it to get a little warmth to settle in and get yeah. going a tiny bit, and uh, seems and too late the to me. But you yeah. kind of just missed the boat. Okay, sorry, I just had to get that lick in there. Please, thank okay. you. I promised that, and I didn't help you deliver that. So cold so frames. Cold frames are still producing a lot of people, including us putting a lot of pretty pictures of lettuce and arugula and... Um, some cases, spinach. Some cases, ours failed. Yeah. Uh, we do have failures sometimes. <laughs> but um, somebody was also asking, can I still plant my cold frame? And, and specifically, she said, Hubs just built me a cold frame. Can I still plant it? Hubs meaning husband, I would guess. And um, <laughs> good for you for having someone do that for you. Although we do teach a course to, to help people learn to do that here if you want to learn to do it yourself. But it's too late to plant. And I saw, Ed, you posted yeah. that on there. Yeah, it's, but you know, it's, I, I have never seen, I've been planting a cold frame for, I don't know, well over a decade. And they're, they're a great way to have spring greens in early March, but Ooh. I've never had access to spring greens in December. We're exceeding, <laughs> we're exceeding the expectation big well, time. Well, right and maybe that's the, the, the warm and, and the friendly side of climate change. But uh, it's been an unusually warm November and even first part of December. And as a result, we've got a salad every other day. It's yeah. crazy. With yeah. some tomatoes. We still yeah, have tomatoes um, that we're letting ripen. And they're not great. They're getting, they're <laughs> they're getting okay. a little mealy. Um, this is this one made me laugh. Someone asks, is anyone successfully overwintering mint in an unheated garage or similar structure, and how? I'm not sure why you're wintering why, it over why, in a garage. Yeah, why would you want it in a garage? Well, some people have theirs in a pot, so they don't take oh, over the whole garden. <laughs> Which they will do. They will do. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I would, I would say maybe just, you could leave that. Well, the, if you leave the pot know. outside, the roots might get cold around. You could dig a yeah. little spot in your yard and just put the pot in that and mulch over it. Yeah, I, you know, it, it maybe maybe the situation is such that they can't, they don't have a dedicated space where they can plant mint in the ground. But and let it go and go and go, which well, is what it but does. You, but, you can, but you can control that, uh, you know, urban growth boundaries, mm -hmm. mint growth boundaries. You know, put up a <laughs> put up a fence or a rock wall. I mean, we have a rock wall around mm -hmm. our mint, and it. It gets the message, you know, it tries to escape once in a while, and we smack it down, and it stays in its place. <laughs> By but, smack uh, it down, we mean we prune it heavily okay. and then make right. tea out of it all winter. <laughs> it's fantastic. But yeah, I don't know, I mean, I guess, I, I, guess, uh, I guess if you did have mint in a pot, and you're in a northern state where it's going to get really cold, maybe, maybe that's a bad idea to put it outside. I'm not sure. Hmm. Hmm. Well, okay, something to think about. Um, this is an interesting question. What is the earliest you've planted seeds outside in the spring and had them do well? Well, it depends where you are. They say, they say I'm thinking I might try things super early just to see what happens. I, I would agree with that. I mean, well, it depends what she means by, or she or he means by super early. Mm -hmm. um, Don't I mean, plant now. <laughs> I think the earliest I've planted for sport was my birthday, March 1st. And that's that's not that smart. You're just um, fishing for presents. I was now. fishing for trouble. Um, March first, no. send presents. <laughs> no, don't send presents. But uh, I, I have had success planting on March fifteenth, around right around St. Patrick's Day. That that to me is like, in, at least in this zone, Des Moines, that's the earliest I think I'd want to plant. But I think to me the advantage of planting early is if you have crop failure, you can plant again. Mm -hmm. If you wait too late and your crop fails, you're host. What, one thing, though, is seeds can be expensive. We save seeds, and we usually have more than we need. So we're, we're pretty good that way. If you're buying a new packet of seeds all the time, that can add up. That can really add up. Yeah. If you plant $50 worth of seeds and lose that crop, you're, yeah. you're, you're hosed, too. Well, yeah, and usually your, your average seed packet is, what, $3.25 and $3.25. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd say... Again, if you're in you're in the same range we are, I'd say shoot for the shoot for Saint. Go out and celebrate Saint Patrick's Day. Pour yourself a tall pint of Guinness and then plant a few seeds. That's sure, it there. Sure, That's and it I there. will. All right. That's it. Um, the 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 thing that makes me laugh most on the Facebook gardening pages is that there seems to be a moratorium on a certain garden tool. You can't name a certain garden tool on Facebook. Somebody was asking, what? what's everybody's favorite garden tools? The garden hose cannot be... Uh, the, the H -O garden hose? H-O-E is... Ho. Ho. Why it, not? 
because it, it, it is seen in some other context as a very bad word. And so Facebook... Because it's a, a short for whore? I suppose. I wasn't going to say it like that. <laughs> well, I, was yeah. gonna, I was just going to hint at it. But <laughs> I, I'm just fascinated um, by the fact that there's no distinction on Facebook between a negative use of that word and a garden implement. And that's, so that's been a very funny conversation, by the way. Well, that's, I, can, I, can I actually just give it an opinion? I, I would call it a ridiculous conversation. It is. I mean... But I'm, I'm, I chuckle about it. Oh, yeah, because yeah, people yeah. come up with creative <laughs> ways to say it. They, 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 they spell H asterisk E and well, things like that. It's like you're spelling F asterisk, asterisk K. <laughs> it's like, come on, it's a, it's a hoe. It's an implement. It's an implement, but it's, it's, Facebook doesn't like it. Oh and so gosh. people are getting put in Facebook jail for talking about garden implements. I'm going to go on Facebook right after the show and use the word ho. <laughs> you are going to get hosed. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's taking, that's verbal policing to an extreme level that's just absurd. Well. But I, I digress. Do you have one more question or are we out of time? Um... I, I think I think we can um, okay. you know start to wrap it up but we, we <laughs> that's a great note to end it on <laughs> reminder we're we're going to start ordering seeds soon the ones yes. that we don't save and do order before they go out of stock because that might happen yep hey thanks Kathy thanks for joining us thanks to our in studio guest Carl Voss to our callers uh, Darlon Chang Paul Deaton Sheila Riggs and Frank from Des Moines thanks also to our production team of Sherry Herdina Forrest Detterman Charles Goldman Kathy Burns and myself Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, Groovy Goods, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Birds and Bees Urban Farm in Bold, Iowa. See you next week, folks, for another hour of talk radio. <laughs>